want to move through the holiness of this moment. Father God, we see you and we honor you and we worship you. And what a beautiful place to be on the very first Sunday, on the first day of the week, on the first Sunday of the year, declaring with your people that you are the prize. You're what it's all about. We put you in first place. We lift you to the rightful space. We say you are ultimate, and we are here for you, God. Be honored in our singing. Be honored in our greeting. Be honored in our hugs. Be honored in our preaching. Be honored in this year at New Spring Church. We ask Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua Amashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed of God, that you would be absolutely glorified and magnified in your house. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. And if you agree with it, would you say a big, rich amen this morning? Amen. Come on, let's give him one more hand clap and maybe a hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Before you grab a seat, why don't you say hello to someone near you? And I know you've gotten a chance to greet. Man, what a great place to be on the first Sunday of the year. Got some of our college students back and some of our uh, folks that had the flu two weeks ago, they're back, feeling great, immune systems recovered. How you doing, New Spring Church? Are you good? All right, well, are you ready for the Word of God? All right, well, I'm ready to preach, but I gotta do a couple of things before I jump in. One, uh, hopefully you already talked about it, but uh, you got a journal on your way in. Would you wave it at me if you got it already in your hands right here? This is a brand new season. And tomorrow morning on all of our campuses, we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so if you're excited and you're ready to come and get together with the people of God on a Monday morning, not just a Sunday morning, can you say, I'm ready? Okay. We'll bring the caffeine. We'll have coffee for you and God will be here. We're going to lead out in worship. And listen, if you have never done this, I'm challenging you. You got to do it. We talk about being about an everyday relationship. And part of that is defining the first part of your day. We want to help you. We want to help you start and focus your year, start and focus your day. And we have seen incredible breakthroughs occur in these 21 days of prayer and fasting. We've seen, listen, I, I, I'm, this is not hyperbole. This is not, this is not big fish talk. This is the truth. We've seen marriages reconciled. We've seen people get pregnant and have children. We've seen uh, reconciliation occur between people that haven't spoken in years. We've seen breakthrough with children that have walked away from the Lord. We have seen businesses shift and change because people prioritize and place God first. I wanna invite you into that. We wanna invite you into that. And so we take it very seriously. We're not just about going to church on Sunday. We're about being the church every day. And so I hope you'll come and bring your journal and join us for 21 days of prayer. I'm excited. I'm pumped up for it. I hope you'll be here tomorrow morning. In addition to that, we've got something to give you on the way out today. I'm actually wearing mine right here on my wrist. I'll get to it in just a minute. It's a bracelet that declares Jesus is Lord. Would you say that with me? Jesus is Lord. We're believing this year that God wants to create in us a people that says Jesus is Lord. And as we declare that, we're believing for salvation this year. Uh, It comes from Romans 10, 9, right? If we would believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and declare it with our mouth, then we shall be saved. Amen? So we're gonna give you one of those. I'm gonna get you to that point in the message this morning. But if you got your Bible, I need you to open it up to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, 
And uh, while you're turning there, I want to invite you to also open up the app because I had way too much scripture that we're going to put on the screens today because we're starting a brand new series called One Another. And uh, I'm going to show you where this comes from in a bit. But in order to get you there, I got I to gotta take you back to 1994 to I'm going to go on record and say one of the top four, maybe even three. It's, it's definitely in my top four. It's in my Mount Rushmore Top four movies of all time came out in 1994, starring Tom Hanks. Anybody got any guesses on this one? All right, somebody yelled big. Not big, that's a good one. That's maybe top 30. This is Forrest Gump. All right, let's look at it. Forrest Gump, how many of you guys love Forrest Gump? All right, some, some epic scenes in Forrest Gump. If you've not seen it, right, uh, you, you might need to go watch it. It's a great movie. How about when he went on a run? He just ran across the whole country. That beard, you know, I don't let my beard get that long. Uh, you know, I'll keep it a couple more weeks here while the winter's going. It's got too much gray in it. But Forrest had that beard out like this. And then all of a sudden he just stopped. And, and then do you remember uh, he started a restaurant? Uh, he started a company. Remember the company? All right. Somebody. And he, he started the company after his very best friend named Bubba. You remember his friend Bubba? And uh, they met, where'd they meet? They met where? Yeah, military and basic training. Yeah, you guys are Forrest Gump uh, uh, connoisseurs up here on the front row. They've met in basic training, and, and there's this scene from basic training where Forrest and Bubba are becoming best buds, and they're dealing with the drill sergeant. But what is, what is Bubba's specialty? He knows a lot about something. What's he know a lot about? Ah, oh, shrimp. He knows a lot about shrimp. I actually have the entire quote. Do you remember the scene? So uh, Bubba knows all this stuff about shrimp and he's telling Forrest about it and it's all through the day. So it starts off and they're, they're putting together a, a gun and taking it apart and Bubba's talking to Forrest about the shrimp while they're doing this and Forrest is listening. He says, well, anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea, Bubba says. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it. There's uh, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, Shrimp gumbo, come on somebody. Pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. Then there's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp and burgers, shrimp sandwich. And then he gets to the end, he says, well, and, and uh, that's about it. That's all, the, that's all of the shrimp. And it goes throughout the whole day, whether it's Bubba and Forrest putting together a gun, or then there's Bubba and Forrest polishing their their, their, their um, dress shoes, and there's Bubba and Forrest cleaning the, the floor to the barracks there with a toothbrush. All of the shrimp. Now, I don't know about you, but when the first time I watched that movie, I like shrimp. Anybody in the, in the service today says, I like shrimp? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of y'all will go to shrimp, get shrimp this afternoon because of this meeting. Uh, and praise God for Acts 2, by the way, Acts 10, uh, because we can eat shrimp. Anyway, another sermon for another day. Some of y'all got that. That's, that's deep, deep cuts, deep, deep cuts right there. But here's the deal with shrimp. I only had like popcorn shrimp and then every once in a while an appetizer that was like raw shrimp. This is like, a, you know, with a, with a horseradish, you know. I had no idea that there's that many shrimp. Well, the reason I bring all that up is because it kind of, my mind was blown. I want you to know that that's the way I feel about this series that we're in. We're beginning today a series called One Another and it comes right from the New Testament of the Bible and I want you to know, I had no idea there was as many one another's in the scriptures as there are. And I think you're going to be overwhelmed, the tidal wave of one another's. There's actually 59 of them. I'm not going to read all 59 of them. But just so you can see it, I've got one page of notes, two pages of notes, three pages of notes. Hold on. Four pages of notes that actually have all the one another's in the New Testament. They're on the screen behind me. 
And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna riff for a moment of how many one another's are in the New Testament. Did you know that we in the New Testament church are called to not envy one another? We're called to not provoke one another in Galatians, not to judge one another in Romans 14 inappropriately. Uh, we're called not to grumble against one another. Don't speak against one another. We're called to speak truth to one another. We're called to submit to one another. Everybody loves that one, right? I, I love that one, submit to one another. Uh, we're called to be humble towards one another. We're called to wait for one another in Corinthians. We're called to wash one another's feet. Hmm. We're gonna talk about that one next week in specifics. Pastor Dan's gonna get that one actually. But we are called to wash one another's feet. It's right there in John uh, and in 1 Corinthians. We also are called to wait for one another. We're called to serve one another multiple times. Peter and Paul both wrote about serving one another. We're called to do good to one another. We're called to stir up one another to love and good works. We're called to sing with one another. We're called to teach and admonish one another. We're, uh, we're called to instruct one another, which is what we're gonna try to do here today. We're called to exhort one another. Everybody say exhort. We're called to exhort one another. Three times we're called to encourage one another, twice in Thessalonians and once from the author of Hebrews. We're called to build one another up. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to confess sins to one another. We're, we're called to comfort one another. We're called to bear one another's burdens. And we're actually not only called to bear one another's burdens, we're called to bear with one another two times. We're called to forgive one another multiple times. We're called to be kind to one another, that's always good for parenting. Be kind to one another. Uh, we're called to be at peace with one another. Multiple times we're called to live at harmony with one another, that's in the book of Romans. We're called to agree with one another, to have fellowship with one another, to show hospitality to one another. We're called to welcome one another. And one of my favorites is an extrovert, 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 extrovert. We're called to greet one another four times. And do you know how we're called to greet one another four times? With a holy kiss. All right, we're called to greet one another with a holy kiss. So hey, we'll just settle for handshakes and high fives anyway. You can uh, greet your uh, spouse with a holy kiss. Anyway, we're called to honor one another. As a matter of fact, we're called to outdo one another in showing honor, but then above them all, and this is the one that categorically is the largest, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 times specifically, we're called to love one another. That's a whole lot of one another's, isn't it? We as the New Testament church are called to one another, one another. And as I'm reading this, and we're gonna talk more about this over the next several weeks, but as I'm reading this, I start to ask the question, well, why? Why was this such an important thing? And, and what's crazy is it's not just like one author in the New Testament wrote about it. Every author in the New Testament wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. James, the half-brother of Christ, wrote about it. The author of Hebrews wrote about it. John wrote about it. Virtually every single person who wrote one of the 27 letters of the New Testament declared multiple times, 59 times to be precise. And we're not even talking about the each others. We're talking about the one another's. We are called to do something for one another. I, I wanna just go on record and say, I was blown away by how often we are called to be in relationship with one another. And so immediately as I'm reading this and I'm really meditating on this, one thing really stands out to me. You know what stands out? The Bible is serious about the, the people of God being in relationship. The Bible is serious about there is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. The Bible is serious that we are not called, and you'll hear this from time to time, that we're not called to live in just an individualistic Christian life and experience, that the Christian life is meant to be done relationally, that we are called to be a part of a people 
And so that flies in the face of anything in me and maybe anything in you that wants to do this Christianity following Jesus thing all by yourself. That actually the very best version of us is on the other side of multiple other people. And so the question that I have and that I really began with that I wanna put before you today is kind of an argument is where in the world did the disciples and the New Testament writers get this kind of encouragement to put before us. Why were they so serious about this, okay? And so if you got your Bible, now we're in Matthew chapter 22. We're gonna pick it up in verse 35. Matthew 22, verse 35. And I believe this is the seedbed. This is the fountain. This is the source to where all the one another's came from. And it's a very familiar passage, all right? Let's read it together. Put your eyes on the screen if you don't mind. It says, and one of them, them are the religious scribes, Pharisees, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, him is Jesus, asked him a question. They asked him this, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Pause. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy 6. This is known as the Shema. It's something that if you were raised in a Jewish context, you would have said multiple times a day that, that their job, our job, is to love God with all you got, to put him first. That's the, the great commandment. But watch what Jesus does next because this is where he doesn't stop. He actually keeps on going. And I believe this is the seedbed the source for all the one another's that we find in the New Testament. All right, you ready? So he says, this is the first and great commandment. Look at 39. And the second is like it. You shall love your what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I'll leave this up here and I wanna just stop for a moment and think about what Jesus is doing here. He's asked a question He's asked to define what's the most important thing. He's asked to define, if you don't mind, what's the most important thing in the law and the prophets? They were talking about the Old Testament. Jesus, you're a teacher, you're a rabbi, what's the most important thing? And he answers with a very familiar commandment. Love God with all you got. Make God number one. But he does not stop there. He keeps going and he says, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says these two commandments is what hang all of the, the Bible, all of the scriptures hang on this. So what are the implications of this? And what I wanna do today, as we begin, we're gonna talk about a lot of these one another's in specifics over the next several weeks. You're gonna get to hear from the teaching team. It's gonna be awesome and encouraging. But what I wanna do today is show you what I believe to be a massive priority, something that has helped me in my own journey as I'm walking out my Christian life that I think is going to help you. And I think it's really the reason why that the disciples started one anothering one another. And can we just be honest, really, as we enter into 2024, an election year, how we treat the folks around us is unbelievably important. Would you agree with that, New Spring Church? And so one of the things I want you to see is that God has chosen that we would love an invisible God, listen to me, by intentionally loving a visible neighbor. Let me slow down and say that one more time. What Jesus does right here in Matthew 22 
is he's going to say the great commandment, you're going to love an invisible God by loving a visible neighbor. That visible neighbor may be in your home, it may be your spouse, it may be your children, it may be people that are easy to love. But it also may be people that are outside of your home or in your home that are difficult to love. It may be coworkers. It may be somebody on your dorm hallway. It may be somebody in your fraternity college students. It may be a teammate. It may be another parent that, that is at the ballpark with you and your kids. It may be your, your coworker. It may be your boss. Come on, somebody. Our bosses need love too, right? It may be somebody that works with you or somebody that works for you. It may be somebody in class beside you. It may be your teacher. It may be a coach. But you need to understand that I believe and I'm convicted of this that Jesus was showing that the most important thing is that if you and I are going to love God, if we're gonna prioritize God, if we're gonna do that, then that's gonna be seen in how we love our neighbor. It has been said that there is no final exam to Christianity. There's just our neighbor. And so the way that our neighbors feel, the way we prioritize and love God, Christ follower, is a massive big deal. 59 times in the New Testament, every single author that had a chance to write about it encourages the church, whether it's Peter in his letter, John in his letter, Paul in his writing, whether it's John in his gospel, whether it's the author of Hebrews, over and over and over and over again, I want you to be blown away by all of the one another's that are in the New Testament. And I want you to see that they matter because if we are going to take seriously loving God, then our neighbors are gonna feel it, amen? Now, how do we get to that place? Well, I wanted you to know that um, C.S. Lewis, I think, says it really, really well with this quote I want to put before you. And he talks about that each one of us, every single Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health, everybody's talking about health at the beginning of the year. How about your spiritual health? Every Christian would agree that a man or woman's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. Uh, where are my parents at in the room right here? Parents, would you wave at me? A lot of us at 915, right? Our kids get up early. We're gonna get them in kids spring. Praise God. Hey, did you, I haven't heard a baby crying in this service yet. Praise God for kids spring. We had a family service last week, but man, praise the Lord for kids spring. It's amazing. But parents, you know how you, uh, you shape your kids, right? And sometimes we do this too if you're, a, if you're an employer, all right? If you're a boss, if you're a supervisor at work, there's a couple of ways that we lead. Uh, one way that we can lead is we can lead by reward. Is there anybody that leads their children with rewards? Hey, if you'll do this, you get this. Show of hands. Let's be honest. Come on now, some of y'all. I've seen y'all, I've heard y'all bribe your children in the grocery store and at restaurants, right? You'll eat those things, then we'll get dessert. Or if, you, if you'll do that, how many of y'all give, you give money for your kids if they make good grades, right? Or you, you, okay, all these things. All right, this is one of the ways you can, you can lead. You can lead by by bribing, all right? It's, that's probably a negative conversation. You can lead by reward. I, let me just go on record and say, the Bible, Jesus leads by reward. He, he tells his disciples, no one will leave things on earth for his kingdom and not be rewarded 100-fold in the kingdom come, okay? Jesus leads this way. It's not a wrong, there's nothing wrong with it. But I just wanna point out, it's one way that we lead. Another way that we lead and that we're shaped is that we, we lead by by the threat or even the application of discipline or punishment. Any parents at the 915 service lead this way? All right, praise God, praise God. In an appropriate way, we're called to discipline our children, right? And we do it at our home, okay? Here's the point, God also leads this way. He warns us 
All through the scripture, he does. Jesus mentions there's seven woes that he gives to the Pharisees. There's ways that he, he puts justice before us. But I want you to see, neither reward nor punitive punishment are the ways primarily that lead the best. C.S. Lewis got after it a moment ago, but I want to point out the way that we are led the best is we are led by love. And we will do things for love that we would not do for reward or we would not do because we might get punished. Anybody that loves their spouse truly, you know, I mean, there are things that I will do for Corey Cooper that I wouldn't do for a million dollars. Like namely, let me give you one right now, all right? We have a new cat in our house. True, right? True. It has, the only reason that cat is in my home is because I love my wife. Just testifying at church this morning, okay? But here's my point. When it comes to this great commandment, and it comes to loving our neighbor as ourself, God is not gonna lead us by saying you get reward or because you're gonna get punished. He's gonna invite you to do it by leading us with love. And the way that you and I love our neighbor is going to actually come out of the source with how much we love God. We show that we love a vis invisible God by loving a visible neighbor. And the key is found in that Matthew 22 great commandment. I want you to put that scripture back in front of you if you're looking at it because there's something there that's the key that I think so many times people miss. It's right there in verse 39. It says, it says, you love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Can everybody say as yourself at every campus on three? One, two, three, as yourself. Listen, this is the key. You and I cannot give our neighbors something we don't possess first. If we don't have a real and authentic love for God, we cannot love our neighbor. I inappropriately, I believe, thought about this commandment for years. I thought that the way I loved God and loved my neighbors, I just needed to try harder to be more efficient, to prioritize more, more God, more neighbor. I just needed to give more effort. I believe that is completely wrong. I believe Jesus here is helping us understand that the key to both loving God and loving neighbor is the way we see ourselves, thus the mirror on the stage this morning. Our identity and the way we see ourselves is how we will both love God and love our neighbor. And so I've gotta ask you a question this morning. How do you view you? Now, before I go any further, what I am not talking about at New Spring today is some kind of self-help, moralistic, therapeutic. You can go to Barnes and Noble and read all the books on that you want. That's not what I'm talking about today. What I am talking about today is primarily the source of loving somebody in our family or in our business or loving an enemy or you have to understand that the way you view you is going to impact all of that. And I, I got taught this years ago a friend of mine mentored me in something called Radical Mentoring. It was, a, it was a beautiful group. And one of the questions that he asked all of us is when you make a mistake, when you blow it, what is the, what is the inner dialogue of your brain? So I'll ask that question to you, New Spring Church. When you make a mistake, when you blow it, what do you say to yourself? How, what's your self-talk look like? Do you know what? Every single time I have blown it, I have one word that always comes to my mind. You know what it is? You ready? Anybody? Anybody else? This one? This is your word? I don't know why. I don't know where this comes from. But if, when, if I blow it, idiot. 
That's just my inside talk. I'm, this is maybe TMI. I'm just trying to be transparent. Maybe, maybe that's not yours. Yours is. so stupid or maybe this is you failure I could fill this whole thing up we could go around the room and pass the microphone and say hey what does your inner voice tell you when you make a mistake when you blow it when you fail maybe it's that you're you're not important maybe it's that you're not wanted maybe these are the kind of words that are over every single person's life listen to me and the truth of the matter is if this is who you see you to be, then when you love your neighbor as you love yourself, this is what you are going to put on your family, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors. And I want you to write this down. This is so important. Pain, listen to me, pain that does not get transformed gets transmitted. Let me say it one more time. Pain, wounds, wrong identities, that do not get transformed, they get transmitted. They get transmitted to teammates and classmates, to coworkers, to family members. This is how generational sin works. Something happened to you and all you hear is the voice of an angry parent from the past, you're gonna put it on your children or your grandchildren or you're gonna put it on your employees or those that you work around. And this is so important because we cannot love our neighbor as we love ourselves if we don't deal with how we see ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, Every one of us is loving our neighbor as ourselves right now. You're not gonna leave New Spring today and try harder to love God and love your neighbor. You are currently loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you see yourself as something like this, then you and I are going to be stuck in this one another series. This is so important. It's one of the massive, massive, massive superpowers of the gospel. Did you know the gospel has superpower? Not like Marvel Comics superpower, not like, not like X-Men who just got updated on the Disney Plus and you can watch your X-Men stuff. No, no, not like those kind of things that you read about that are fantastical. I'm talking about real life superpower. The gospel is a superpower that will powerfully wash us. In 2 Corinthians, I want you to just see this gospel superpower. 2 Corinthians 2, you'll know it. Chapter five, verse 17, which says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a what, New Spring Church? He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So what does that mean? Well, let me show you what that means. Very simply, it means if you're in Christ today, that those words that were spoken by a, maybe a, a parent that wasn't minding what they said or an old coach or, or that, that person that time, that first marriage that time, that, that employee that time, come on, y'all. You know you gotta remind yourself the gospel multiple times. You can't just do it once. You gotta remind yourself the gospel a couple of times. All right, all right. Listen, listen, listen. That in Christ, we are a new creation and the old has gone and the new has come, all right? So we're gonna love our neighbors as we love ourselves. but first, before we, we love our neighbors, we've gotta know I got a fresh, clean towel right here. We gotta know, look at that. So what are the new words? What are the new words that God speaks over us? This is so important, this is so practical. I'm trying to help somebody. Is this helping anybody right now? Okay, all right, here, what are the new words? I wanna point you, whoop, whoop. It's okay, I already got it clean. Oh, don't fall in there. This is the pit of no return. If it drops down there in that hole, you can't get under there. All right. So, it's, there's a chasm between you and I. No, I'm just kidding. It's a whole nother sermon. We got a lot of religious people here if y'all laughed at that joke. Okay, all right, listen, listen. Galatians 2, 
says it like this. Paul writes these words. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? But Christ who lives in me. This is the gospel, the superpower of the gospel. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what Galatians says. Look, it says right here. Write that down. It's so important. It's so valuable. So what does that mean? That means that the way that God looks at you and I, the superpower of the gospel, is he looks at us as Christ. He doesn't look at our good works because the Bible says our good works are like filthy rags. He doesn't look at our mistakes and our brokenness and our failures and how many times we have blown it and we're such an idiot. No, 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 no. That's the way the enemy talks to us. But when God, the Father, looks at us, this is a miracle. He sees us as, our, as his kids, his children. And so I wanna really draw your attention to the way God speaks to Jesus in the New Testament. One of the reasons that it's recorded audibly when Jesus is baptized and at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured, both of those times, audible voice of the Father is heard and there are three declaratives. I think these declaratives are massive for you and I if we're gonna love our neighbor as we love ourselves, because we have to first see ourselves so that we actually have something to give our neighbor. The first declarative that we see in Christ that you and I are one, and I want you to write this down, this, this simple phrase, I am loved. Would you say that with me at every campus on three? One, two, three, I am loved. This is not just positive talk. This is the gospel. We have to rehearse this. I am loved. The next thing you need to know that you are, not just that you are loved, but you need to know this. I am a child, second row, of God. Would you say that with me on three? One, two, three. I am a child of God. Pause, I need to pick a fight right, right here. This is one of the lies that are, that are told sometimes. Listen to me, so important. We are not born children of God. Go read Ephesians 2. Because of the first Adam and the first Eve, we are born in the Imago Dei image of God, but because of Adam and Eve, we have inherited the brokenness and we must be, like Jesus told Nicodemus, we must be born again. And when we're born again, we are now no longer born as a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a quote from Ephesians 2. But now because of the superpower of the gospel, we are born a child of God. This is so important that you get this because people will talk like this. They'll just talk like all of humanity is a child of God. Look at me in my whites of my eyes. That is a lie that keeps people from feeling the necessity of repenting of their sins and being born again. And no one will see the kingdom of God without being born again. That's a quote from Jesus Christ in John chapter three. If you and I have been born again, then you need to know not only are you loved, but number two, I am a child of God. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Number three, three and final. One of the other things that God speaks audibly out loud to Jesus so that everyone can hear. He doesn't just call him, this is my son whom I love, child of God and I'm loved, but he says this important phrase and he says to Jesus and I am pleased with him. I'm pleased with him. So what does that transfer, transfer to you and I? Is you need to know this. If you're a Christ follower, saint, you need to know this. God is pleased 
with me. Would you say that out loud on all of our campuses on three? One, two, three. God is pleased with me. Important. This phrase was said to Jesus before he had preached a sermon, performed a miracle, raised the dead, before he'd healed anybody. You see, I believe one of the powerful things is you and I need to know, even Jesus did not have to perform to receive the pleasure of God, and neither do you and I in the gospel. From this identity, listen, so important, from this identity is how you're gonna love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we've gotta stand in the mirror and we've gotta rehearse this. You know how many times the average person looks in the mirror every single day? Any guesses? Some of y'all are like, My, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not gonna pick any fights right here. Could, some of y'all look in the mirror a whole lot. Okay, but the average person looks in the mirror over eight times a day. What would it look like if on those eight times a day, you and I looked in the mirror and we rehearsed the gospel? Did you know you gotta preach the gospel to yourself? Y'all thought the only preachers of the gospel were on Sunday stages and behind pulpits? Wrong. Every Christian across the planet needs to preach the gospel. And we gotta preach the gospel and we gotta start with ourselves. If we're gonna love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and we're gonna love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then we've got to say to ourselves, in Jesus' name, I am loved. In Jesus' name, I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, God is pleased with me. Yeah, but my boss says this, and my, my ex-wife says that, and my, that, that accuser in my mind says this. No, 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 no. In Jesus' name, I am loved. In Jesus' name, I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, God is pleased with me. You know what that's gonna cause you to do? You're gonna walk away from the mirror, and you're gonna have a big old smile on your face. You're gonna have joy in your heart as you go to work. You're gonna look different as you're working your nine to five or you're doing your overtime or you're working those double shifts, those 12 hours. You're gonna look a little different in that first period class at your college or your school. And you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna one another, one another really, really well. But until you get the, the accuser's words of failure or you know, oh, you're a mistake or you're so stupid or whatever the lies of the enemy are, until you get those things and you call them what they are, lies, and you begin to preach the gospel to yourself, then you and I are not gonna be able to one another anybody very well. This is the seedbed and the source and supply of how the New Testament church changed the world. And it's how the world today will continue to be changed. And it's how 2024 is gonna go. We're gonna be eating turkey and putting up Christmas trees before we know it. But it's the way that we're gonna transform our schools or our homes or our neighborhoods or our workplaces. It's how the state of South Carolina is gonna be different because we're gonna know that you are loved, you're a child of God, and that he is pleased with you. If that's encouraging to anybody today, would you say amen? Amen. So one of the things that we're gonna tie all of this up with today is when you leave today, you're gonna get a bracelet as a reminder because I need reminding. Anybody else need reminding? I need reminding because these three promises are available for anyone who has made the declaration, just like your bracelet will say, Jesus is Lord. When you say Jesus is Lord, then, and you mean it in your heart, that 2 Corinthians passage, that Galatians 2 passage, they become true for you. And you begin to walk out in that superpower of the gospel, first being transformed, washed from the inside out, and now you're going to not transmit the pain or the wounds that you've experienced in your life to your kids or your coworkers or your classmates. Instead, you're gonna be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and now you're gonna translate brand new identity. And you know what's gonna be wild? You're gonna see evangelism break out when you start treating people like they're loved 
like they're a child of God and God's pleased with them. And you're going to start loving people that are pre-believers. Meaning you're going to start tilling the soil in their own hearts for them to receive the gospel good news later this year. But they need somebody to love them like Jesus loved you before you ever deserved it. Long before they ever did anything worthy to be loved. But that is the power of the catalytic gospel that will not allow us to stay the same. It is not a gospel that just causes us to respond by reward or a gospel that causes us to respond by punishment. It's a gospel that calls us to respond by love. That God has first loved us and now he's called us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Would you stand to your feet on all of our campuses as we get ready to respond? Our worship teams are gonna come out and the ministry pastor's gonna come out. But listen, I just wanna point your attention on all of our campuses. If you have not been born again, today's the day. Come to the cross. Come to the cross and be made new. Come take hold of these promises of God's love and, and being adopted into the family of God and knowing he's pleased with you because he's seeing the finished work of Christ on the cross and therefore he now hands it to you. So in a moment, if you need to respond and make your way to the cross on all of our campuses, I want you to do that. Others of you, you're already a saint, you're already a believer. Come and eat of the Lord's table and be reminded that God loves you, you've been adopted in, and he's pleased with you. As you hear someone preach the gospel to you, this is Christ's body broken for you, his blood poured out for you, take that in. And as the church leaves the building here in about 25 minutes, let's go and love our neighbor as we love ourselves, because we love an invisible God by loving a visible neighbor. Let me pray and we'll respond. Father God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, thank you for the mirrors that we all look in and Lord, that they're going to serve your kingdom in the days ahead as we remind ourselves and we rehearse the good news of what you spoke over Christ. And now because he has been trusted by faith we now have it spoken over us because it is now Christ who lives. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Lord, would you let those words echo and resonate in every one of our hearts that we are loved, we are your child, and that you are pleased with us. And would we live like it's true, that we're gonna love God, we're gonna love our neighbor, and we're gonna prove it. We love you, and we respond now to your good news. In Christ's name we pray, amen.